Here we go. <clears throat> Introducing the show. This is fun. I like this. Landon, I'm, I'm going to let you take over once he answers. Hello? And he's answered. Logan. Hello? This is this is Landon. From the speech yeah. guys. <laughs> Why'd you call on an unknown number? You're, uh, <laughs> you're live on the speech guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Logan. Where it's such an honor to have you, Logan. Logan, let me explain something. Landon missed last episode. So what we're doing is really providing some of our audience fans an opportunity to introduce the episode. Father Danny McShane did a stellar job last time. It gained us a lot of fans. Or, no, let me put it another. We only lost 20 fans for the previous episode. <laughs> and we're we're just sort of hoping, if you'd like to take a few minutes here to, to introduce us, introduce the episode, and, uh, you know, give a little tip of the hat to your fellow, fellow Speech Guy fans. So to the Speech Guys, tonight um, is, is all... All four members on the call? Three members yeah. on the call? Four. Yep. Four, mind you. <laughs> four. Uh, you know, Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all, are all here this evening. It's free. It's free. <laughs> well, anytime we put something out on the interweb, we mispronounce the last name just in case, you know, the content down the road doesn't, doesn't align. Um, Tonight's topic is what? David Foster Wallace. This is water. And this is so episode we are, number 21. We're uh, dabbling into the, the author of Infinite Jeff this fine evening. We are. You know your, you know your works. Who selected this particular uh, individual to discuss? We're in a speech. <clears throat> we're in a, a series about speeches before death. And... Uh, David Foster Wallace did take his own life in 2008, and so this was a a speech a few years before that that foreshadowed some of the weightier topics of his message. And uh, which of the four members who picked this? Like, don't you have a <laughs> answer you know, the question, the Landon? Yours truly. Yours truly. That does not surprise me with uh, the group. <laughs> Hey Logan, it's it's been great. Thanks for taking the time to introduce us. Okay, can you sort of finish with like your own little like twirl or something like and the moment you've been waiting for, here's the speech guys and then we cue the music, something like that. Okay, are you ready? Yes, I uh, appreciate the the two of you that are still listening to this and uh <laughs> hope you hope you stay on for the duration of tonight's discussion. And cue the music. When you see the road from every direction, it will give you eyes, give you hope, it'll give you perspective. I've been back and forth, and yeah, I had my crashes. Now I've seen the road, it goes every so tonight we are talking about David Foster Wallace's This Is Water. Um, it was a commencement speech. Have we? When was the last time? Have we hit a commencement speech in a while? 
Not really. Like on Earth? Oh, on. <laughs> we we did mm. Steve Jobs, yeah. but that was our uh, golden members only. The recording. <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, this was in 2005 at Kenyon College, um, a couple years before uh, his inevitable his inevitable passing. I'll start off and read an expert excerpt. I'll start off and read an excerpt of it, and then we'll dive in. Uh, this is or or listen to it really from him on the real audio. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, we'll start off and listen to an excerpt from towards the end of the speech. Not that that mystical stuff's necessarily true. The only thing that's capital T true is that you get to decide how you're going to try to see it. This, I submit, is the freedom of real education, of learning how to be well-adjusted. You get to consciously decide what has meaning and what doesn't. You get to decide what to worship. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. It is about the real value of a real education, which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time, that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water. This is water. All right, so we listened to the end of the speech, um, but... What we uh, what we didn't uncover was at least right off the bat. Does everyone know kind of the namesake of the speech's title? Um, and that is a simple anecdote. Older fish is swimming in the sea. Two young fish come along. Says the older fish turns to them and says, "Morning, boys. How's the water?" The two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over the other and goes, "What the hell is water?" Um, and then DFW goes on to really describe um, perhaps the simple things, the essence of life, and how so much of our existence is perhaps in an environment like a fish in water that we don't notice, that we take for granted, that um, you know we probably don't uh, focus on, and. Um, gets very, I would say, philosophical um, in the nature throughout the speech, as you heard. Um, and I would, I would sum up here with the reason that I picked it. I think where our theme is speeches before death. His unfortunate circumstance certainly serves as as a reason to take a look at this one. And this is a speech we've been thinking about doing for a while. We didn't know where to fit it in. Um, we've, we've talked about it before and even going back years ago to our uh, late night evenings together in person when we all lived together. And it's always captivated somewhat of our attention. Um, I think the reason that I chose it to look at and the reason perhaps I've been fascinated with David Foster Wallace is he seemed to like... <clears throat> have the the strongest sense of 
um, perhaps Christian truths or Christian priorities or the way, uh, maybe the way to live or the kinds of things to value um, without being a Christian. Um, and I don't know, seem to always bring a lot of um, morality or grounded. Hey, Landon. Yeah. As a brief aside, as not being Christian, he did attend church with um, the Mennonites? Yeah. Who was it? Correct. Okay. And another fun fact, he also tried to convert to Catholicism twice. I, so I knew he attended the church. Um, it seemed like he always described it more of, was able to, value it for its social purposes and kind of connections with yeah. people advancing. I, I mean, he certainly tried to understand it, it but is, he would have never is interesting. himself a Christian. But, but you, you follow what I said. He did try to convert, yeah. <laughs> which, which implies a certain like level up from just like social functionality of it. Mm -hmm. But I think as I remember, and this wasn't even preparing for the speech. This was like some months ago probably mm -hmm. on some rabbit trail from another speech night prep but um he like it was something like he failed the skeptic test or doubt test or something like that but oh, really? th i don't know there is something that's still just really striking about about that idea um so yeah there's something interesting to think about yep um so I'll stop there. What reading it for the first time, I know guys, we read it, yeah, six, seven years ago. What struck you now versus then? Um, did uh, did you come around on it? What what really pulled your attention from his message this time? Something that kind of jumped out to me. Um, was I feel like I took <clears throat> different, like, I felt like I just had a different overall feel for it now versus when we listened to it those years ago. Um, so the first time we covered it, we're still in grad, I was still in grad school. So I'm still kind of the college graduate that he was speaking mm -hmm. to in the speech itself, in the commencement speech, you know? <clears throat> so his overall theme, I guess, I mean, the idea of, What's really, I mean, I feel like just was throughout the entire speech was this kind of this idea of the unconscious default. I don't remember exactly how he termed it, but just, you know, this idea that we're just on autopilot and not noticing it. And we're not, you know, we're not really living life. We're just kind of going through motions and all this stuff. Um, and he kind of commented on it multiple times, like, you guys don't know this yet, but this is what adulthood is like. And the crowd kind of chuckled or whatever, but... And then now, you know, seven years later or whatever, like, not that I'm towards, you know, super old, but have worked in the workforce for seven years, have married, have three kids, have a kid in school. I just feel like I had a better ability to, I think, relate to what yeah. he was actually hitting at. You know, the because I feel like college is kind of romantic and you're hanging out with your friends and having great discussions and learning all kinds of stuff. And you're kind of, you make your own schedule and all this stuff. And then the day-to-day -day responsibilities of life hit once you, you know, become an adult and all the other stuff that comes with it. So I felt like I was better able to relate to his, his point, I think. 
Um, which I do think he might have even said something like that in the speech. Like, right. pretty much you guys don't yeah. know it yet, but this is going to happen. Um, so I just kind of felt like it was an interesting, like, thinking about my takeaways then versus now, I felt like I was just much able to able to relate much better to it. So here's something that sort of, like, strikes me with what you said, Ross, and something that has sort of been on my mind as I, you know, thought through the speech. Um you know, him referencing his, like, boredom and tediousness is really in many ways, like, being the substrate of life. Like, it is from this matrix of boredom and tedium that we are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement and et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and the sort of, like, question that sort of prompts me from that, like, reflection is how do you train yourself out of that and he, he sort of gets that in the speech right well it's it's just being really intentional and really thinking critically about those other people you know as i'm sure we'll touch in other ways that that gas guzzling patriarchal christian who doesn't believe in climate change in front of you that mom who's tired and yelling at her kids the grocery store worker who like greets you with this just like deathly and empty hello right so that, that's sort of like the ways that he explains he like he he encourages the audience to break themselves out of that boredom and tedium um the, the things like like how what we have today obviously that he did not have in 2005 when he gave the speech was smartphones for one thing and it's like boy obviously smartphones don't do jack crap in helping you strengthen yourself to break yourself to to live in that boredom but at the same time be able to break yourself out of it um yeah <laughs> one more thing before i cut myself off um for lent this year I'm do I'm not allowed to browse the internet or watch YouTube. Zero. Not even to like pick a song that I want to listen to on YouTube. That's a lot. And and well, I don't know, sort of. Maybe not for you. But it's well, I don't know. It's like I mean, I definitely spent more time than I should have on browsing the internet. Um obviously I did to prep for the podcast, but like I was very right. intentional yeah. about that. But it's like when, when you think about smartphones in that way is that they are making you less able to be bored. Boy, like, man, that, I don't know. That's something that's, that's sort of just one more layer onto that whole idea of smartphones and, and technology and figuring out how to let them be a tool rather than uh, chains. So, yeah. Do you think we're more bored now, or do you think our phones allow us to realize how bored we are? Or, like, just because phones fill that space, we struggle more with boredom because, like, under normal cell phone, internet browsing circumstances, like, we can just, like, instantly, like, fill that gap. You know? I don't know. <clears throat> Because I feel like in some ways we're more acutely aware of boredom, but maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't feel like we're bored when we're using them. Um, right. And I think the absence of it, probably like some sort of addiction, 
if you didn't have it for like an hour or two hours, you know, you'd be like, oh, I need to go check this. I need to check that. Um, and so you'd want it. But I think if, yeah, I think when you have, when you constantly do that, if you're in the grocery line and it's like, man, <clears throat> you know, if, if you were David Foster Wallace in 2004 in the grocery line, he he just has a flip phone. He doesn't really text that much. And all he wants to do is like get home, have a nice meal, watch a little TV. And there's like all these obstacles in the way from like that satisfaction. Um, and when we do it, I think we can like soothe ourselves. It's like, well, all right, this traffic light phone, um, grocery line phone. Um, and it, it's kind of a, maybe we don't get as angry. Like we can just like plug into our little world and yeah, soothe our ego mentality, get entertained. Um, it might be a little, I don't know, a bit different of a frustration that he expressed in this article than he, cause he didn't have a cell phone. So Ross, you're the only one who can answer this. Um, do you train your children to be bored? And obviously use it. No. Yeah. I mean, not in that way. Um, I mean, obviously have do, a broad definition like, here. Right. So I would say yes and no. I mean, I read an article recently. It might have been Art of Manliness. I'm not sure. Um, but it talked about how one of, I don't know if it's like one of the Nordic countries or it was kind of talking about like just children's education. And I've read some different things about it, like how, anyway, I'll get off on a tangent, I guess. But the point of it, it was like this article is talking about how like kids should go outside and spend time outside like every day. doesn't matter what the weather is. Like you send kids outside to play on their own and they have to like figure out what to do because it's like they don't have toys in front of them to entertain them. They have to like, it's not only like go outside and get fresh air. It's like they have to be imaginative or make decisions and be independent of you and things like that. So I think we've, I don't know, not as good as we should, but like try to incorporate that a little bit, like that idea. Um, and then kind of similarly, like we do, like we actually just started this actually, but like they have to take like quiet time every day, but like they're allowed to, they're not like napping, but like the point is just like, mm. yeah, like, well, I'm not going to, entertain you right now like you have to go you know color read do whatever you want but like it's not going to be me doing something for you um you know it's like even like one more secular social function of church that i don't think i've ever heard before is like being bored right for kids especially right like yeah i mean we're all kids adapt just giving them boredom exposure. Yeah, exactly. Like, like yeah. yeah, obviously for most, like, it's, I, I sort of, like, get a little bit riled up when um, people I'm familiar with are, you know, they, like, criticize the time they spent as, like, a child in church. Like, ah, it's a waste of time. Like, what, do you think you'd be a rocket scientist by now if you had not gone to church? Like... You look like about an average individual for your age. Like, what would, <laughs> yeah. what was the actual opportunity cost there? No, because even 
there's an interesting thought too. Well, okay, sorry, not to like build. <laughs> no, here's another interesting thought coming from me. Um, no, but like people who went to church as a child, but now like are sort of like militant or just like vaguely militant towards religion. Like there was a function there. Even if they didn't necessarily turn out on the side of the coin, which we might think is better, there's still like value there because that particular individual believes that there is objective rightness to reality. And what is right and objective is that, well, you shouldn't spend time at church, you should spend time doing X, Y, or Z. In contrast with the individual who does not spend time bored in church growing up and contemplating things because they have nothing else to do, what, where do they end up as an adult? Because why would they be militant towards religion? They've never been engaged with it in any way. They're just going to be like, meh, no, I don't know. I mean, how much, whatever, right? And I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, that's like the definition of being a nun, versus the atheist whereas like in my mind i i i have a substantial amount of respect for like sam harris or michael Shermer or richard dawkins because they believe in objective reality and objective morality even if it's not mine versus the nun who's like well i mean whatever you know what do you guys think sam harris and dawkins believe in objective morality um, I'm more familiar with Sam Harris, whom I would say yes. Really? Um, Did you say morality or reality? Though? Well, they're somewhat one and the same, but Sam Harris does morality. Yeah, I, I believe he is a moral objectivist. <laughs> I don't. I guess I'm not that familiar with him. Um, like maybe two debates and one or two podcasts. I did read a book of his, but I, I wouldn't have been able to say he was objectively moral um with any confidence so anyway just to like tidy up that thought so the audience doesn't completely lose it the point there is that there is a lot of functionality to being bored yeah that foster wallace emphasizes here and i think is not well stressed today yeah talking about like to jump off you a little what? bit oh um Matt. I was going to counter that a little bit. Just counter it. Just go. Just say it. Throw it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I remember, I, I don't know who said this. I want to say, I don't know who said it. But um, Wait, is it like a smart effect... person or is it like one of us said it? No, no, no. It was like a smart person. <laughs> smart person. I don't quote you guys. But uh, we should just start. No, it it was something to the something to the effect of like the saints were never bored or something like that. Meaning that like because there was this um, like ever present spiritual reality and this ever present communion and like sense of mission. um, They were never bored in this in like the common sense of the word like, oh, well, there's literally nothing to do, you know. Um, I mean, I suppose it com- might come down to definition of boredom because I'm sure there are points in time where they like wish they were entertained, you know, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess like I might push back on that a little bit because I don't know if it's boredom itself. 
I mean, I suppose maybe there's like the discipline of like entertaining yourself or the discipline of contemplation that might be taught in those circumstances. But, um, and just like, yeah, I guess suppose having to wrestle with the, with the boredom. But yeah, like, I don't know if like the end goal is to be bored, but like the end goal I'd maybe to, um, yeah, have wrestled with that enough that, and have a purpose in your life that like that boredom does gets filled with something positive. Like, and I think that's kind of what he says, but, um, but like you, yeah, if you have like that sense of purpose and you have that, um, deep sense of like life being meaningful, like it won't necessarily be boring. Right. Cause there's like a whole, you know, that grocery store that you're just trying to get through the line. Like there are a bunch of souls there, you know, that are like acting out this like to some degree dramatic story you know yeah yeah i mean i think that i mean i guess you kind of said it but like he i mean one of the lines i forget it i don't have in front of me but like that stuck out to me but i think like i don't think he was saying boredom in itself is good so much as like you said like it's more finding meaning in what superficially seems to be a boring moment so like and i think that's probably why it seems like it's appropriate to give this speech to the like a graduating class that's about to go in their minds you know conquer the world um like no like adulthood is full of on the surface boring on the again on the surface boring meaningless just nothing you know grocery store lines things like that so like what he I, you know what he argued i thought pretty well was like no you have to find there's meaning even in those moments and when you can learn to live that way you'll just be a lot happier person um, um which is, yeah i don't think he uses these words but it's like just what inner dialogue what voice or thoughts do you choose to be in control in these stressful moments like yeah you could see the you know lane blocking suv pickup truck and just be mad and they're aggressive and whatever or it's like maybe maybe they're in a rush and they had a horrific accident in a small car and you know feel more comfortable in, in a big suv like you can always you can take your own selfish vantage point or a little bit what he's saying is like put yourself in their shoes and maybe they have an entirely possibly implausible re good reason to do this or act like this. They're having a much more terrible day than you. Um, and like maybe, and you just, <clears throat> if you think that way, then you would offer them grace or friendliness or forgiveness. And it's just like a mental choice in your mindset. Um, so, Maybe to put like a finer point, can I can I just read that like sentence that we're sort of like talking around here yeah. regarding SUVs and such? Okay. Yeah. This is sort of from the middle of the speech. I can spend time in the end of the day traffic jam being angry and disgusted that all the huge, stupid, lane-blocking SUVs and Hummers and V12 pickup trucks burning their wasteful, selfish 40-gallon tanks of gas 
and I can dwell on the fact that the patriotic or religious bumper stickers always seem to be on the biggest, most disgustingly selfish vehicles driven by the ugliest, most inconsiderate and aggressive drivers. There's actually more, but that, that gets gets to the point there. Of, um, Wasn't that the part, if I remember correctly, that he was actually going through that like dialogue in an example of how not to act? And then, like when he was when he was yeah. saying it, like the crowd started chuckling as if they were like agreeing with him. And he actually right. yes, was like, no, yes, no. Like, the crowd was that... like they cheered that part. He was like, "This is the part <laughs> I'm telling you not to act." And like that's the part they related to. Yes, most. yeah, that drove me nuts when they clapped because you're exactly right. Like he's making a point to not act, and they don't get it. They're like, "Yeah." <laughs> Yeah, those Bush disciples. It was a subtle point, though. Like, I kind of half picked up on that, but it wasn't clear who's making that point when he went into that description. He did correct it on the back, and he's like, no, you're not. Like, thinking like this is not the example. Like, you shouldn't think like this. You should figure <clears throat> out how to get out of this mindset. And give them a reason that they need this big car um you know yeah exactly and something uh, i don't know to put it in slightly different words i was thinking about today that's i think on the exact point and it references like jordan peterson's sort of like um um tension or juxtaposition between like the conservative and the liberal mindset where Conservatives tend to be a little bit more conscientious. Liberals tend to be a little bit more open-minded. Well, like, you need both. And something that I've sort of been telling myself lately, you know, if I feel like family or friends have not done what I've hoped that they've done, like, to think that, Mike, you're not in their life, they can be killing it in some other virtue where you are just a piece of garbage in that that's i, I think it gets the exact same point like yeah. that's what you have to hone in on yeah um yeah to kind of jump into the like a personal experience then i feel like of when <clears throat> like i think i somewhat saw like in life what he's talking about was so We've all done Exodus 90, which to the fans that don't know what that is, it's pretty much a 90-day spiritual exercise where you don't give in to all these uh, comforts or luxuries. So you have to, you don't drink alcohol, you don't eat snacks, you don't snack between meals, you don't eat dessert, you take cold showers. It's just a lot of like self-denial type stuff. But I remember one of my takeaways after that was how, like, I think I kept thinking, man, I like how distracted I was before. So like how many moments during the day where, you know, you could look out the window and like look at a tree that is like real, it's in front of you. Or you could glance at your cell phone and like look at someone's Facebook picture or, and I mean, you could just take that point any which way you wanted. And just how much, like you said, how much time we spend browsing on phones. And I've kind of thought about like, that's just kind of, I mean, it's okay, I guess, everyone, you know, to spend some time just relaxing or whatever, but like, it's almost like wasting your life because you're not really engaging with like reality. Um, 
so I've kind of had that thought, like that was just a thought of mine after the XS90 program was like, man, we just distract ourselves so much. Like I'm in the car, I got to turn the music on. I just can't sit in silence, you know? Um, and uh, like, I don't know, it's just interesting to me because it's, I think that it's the other moments that are literally like real life. Um, and we, it's almost like we, I think of it as like the matrix. Like it's almost like we choose to put ourselves in the matrix as opposed to just living life. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting thing to think about. So obviously in the films, the matrix, like from what I remember, people didn't choose to be in the matrix. Like they just were, but now we choose to be in the matrix. Not only do we choose, we like pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like we Which, pay... to get back to DFW, I feel like it's kind of like, because it's we do that because like life is hard you know like there are again superficially there are boring mm. meaningless i'm mad that lady like life has it's not necessarily not every moment of it is as grandiose as we want it to be um so it's like our inability to live well in those moments drives us seemingly to like matt said pay to live in the matrix um so it seems like he's at he's he's giving a way out of that that life i guess i i'm just i'm actually thinking of like probably two other dfw articles and even how david foster wallace is like most cited in other books kind of gets to that point of like even in 1994 whenever he wrote infinite jest like infinite jest is like this you know no one's ever read it but everyone's read the review of it um (laughs) it's like this just dense, sarcastic, ironic look at like what is the most exasperated end of the line version of like how commercialized and um, how commercialized a society could be that maximizes like pleasure and desensitizes pain, I think is what it's all about. Um, And that runs through like a lot of his writing, um, just like warning, even before, I guess it'd be kind of interesting. He probably died right before the iPhone or right as like the first iPhone yeah. came out. Um, and like the thing that was the most dangerous in his mind. Yeah. Existed probably like eight months before he took his life. Um, hmm. and so, I mean, imagine like everything he wrote about kind of predicted how bad this could get. And it's probably, it's probably met it or exceeded it. Um, and, and he, he somehow understood that better than anyone else. Um, and it, I don't, I don't know exactly how I'll wrap this up other than I've just been fascinated broadly about this speech, how, I'm in, I'm in this program about faith and work and we're reading like a lot of different books, just chapters of them. And this speech is referenced so much, even in Christian works um, of just like, Hey, here's, here's a vantage point that is kind of relevant and how, how to like point yourself back to the gospel or whatnot. And it, he's had a lasting effect that maybe is because, 
because of the way he died, but he was he was getting at some truths here for as a warning label to modern society to like you know not get distracted with all this stuff. Yeah, I think I referenced this. I don't know. I didn't fill the outline very quickly, but um, like he, I I like the idea that he presents of you know, avoiding this unconscious default state. Um, but I think where I kind of balked at what he thought was mm-hmm. he seemed to, he didn't seem to present. Yeah, he literally said I it. Like he, I can't find the quotes. So I'm not going to try, but he pretty much said like, you get to pick where the meaning is. Like he kind of like, it's interesting. Like he kind of, he negatively spoke about how we make ourselves the center of the universe. Right, he had that portion where he kind of talked about people tend to every sort of thing we relate, we relate to ourselves. So we're always at the center. And I just felt like he kind of spoke about it negatively, how we always place ourselves at the center of the universe, which I think is a good point. But then he also kept saying, like, you get to pick the meaning. You it's like, you know, you get to find the meaning in this. And he almost seemed to be putting it on the individual to decide what's meaningful and what's not and why it's meaningful. Um, which that was the point I think I kind of disagreed with. Cause it's like, well, as, as a Catholic, like I believe like the meaning is outside of myself. It comes from God. You know what I mean? So, right. Um, like, I don't think I agree. Like at that point, I didn't agree with him where it got to wit from it. This idea of avoiding the unconscious default state. I totally agree with, but I just kind of thought it was interesting how he seemingly presented in a negative way, making yourself the center of the universe, but then pretty much said, you get to decide all the meaning in the universe, um, which is a lot of power to give to a person, you know? Um, so I don't know. That just kind of struck me. It'd be, can one of us find the where? I don't know. That'd be worth because I, um, um, uh, I I found the part that Ross was just referencing here. Should we read it? Because 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 I would yeah go ahead and read it and I might well, have a counterpoint what, towards the end. What page on the outline is it? Mike? Um, it's uh, I just did the classic uh, control F. Can find uh if you just just control search not that the missile mystical stuff's no, necessarily I think true part that i'm talking about i'll read I'm but but La- landon read this already Here's, here is just one example of the total wrongness of something i tend to be oh, automatically okay right, you get to okay. everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep deep belief that i am the absolute center of the universe the realist most vivid and important person in existence we raise sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it is so socially repulsive. But it's pretty much the same for all of us. It is our default setting, hardwired into our brains at birth. Um, and he kind of goes on, but I feel like that's that's the part I was referencing about the um, negative speak about making ourselves the center of the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I counter that. Well, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think in this particular way, I mean, he was sort of being mainstream and appealing to what's popular, right? Because to say something like, oh, there is an objective reality to the universe and it is this, even if he says it in this really general way, that's just not trendy. That's not cool. That's not whatever. So that that's, I think, where he's coming from with the um, you get to decide what the meaning is, right? It still leaves everyone feeling like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Snap my fingers, David. But, of course, he leads into it, like, with these very objective things that just really resonate in the hearts of people, right? Because he describes, um, you know, the the overworked mom who's yelling at her child in this really um, sort of repulsive way. Like, people hear that, at least I hear it, I'm sure it's the same for you guys, I'm sure it was for a substantial fraction of those people. They heard that and they're like, whoa, that's very real. Like, I've been that mom before, or that dad before, for that matter. Um... It's, it's only, the, the value to that portion of the speech isn't you get to decide what the meaning is. It's that we're all saying, whoa, when he's describing the drama that's happening with the mom who's yelling yeah. or dad who's yelling right. at her child or his child unfairly. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think he does put a sharper point on it. You go to the if you you can click on my little initial at the on the top and that'll show you where my cursor is what I'm about to read. Towards the end of the speech he's like you know there's all kinds of freedom and the kind that is most precious you'll not hear much talk about much talk about the outside world of wanting and achieving. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able to truly care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad, petty, unsexy ways every day. That is real freedom. That is being educated and understanding how to think. Um, so that's like as he's wrapping it up. Um, and and I don't I don't think that's unclear or you know unmoored from like oh choose any kind of meaning you want like he does say this is probably it um and i think yeah i think that is true and well, surely before he gets to that section, he goes over like, or like the quote is, the only choice is we get to worship or we get to choose what we worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship. And he lists off, you know, the gods or, you know, religions of various things throughout the world is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a good quote. Then he talks about, he talks about money. He talks about um power you know your body and your sexual alert you know all these different things and you know how basically none of them will ever satisfy you so like he does 
I don't think he says you get to choose the meaning entirely, like in this completely radically kind of solipsistic world. Um, I think it's more or less like you can choose like the, the, like to find meaning in these kind of superficial things. Um, but like really like we, you need to find meaning in something trans or like, I guess the true meaning is in something transcendent, right? To just keep things general. Cause he wouldn't say, well, he might say God. I mean, he does say God or some type of God thing, <laughs> you know, um, I suppose like his personal uh, thing is, is kind of up up in the air a little bit, but um, but yeah, like I, I think he does. He makes a stand, like it's not a very defined stand in terms of like yeah, like Christianity or yeah, like you know Islam or whatever. Um, but he at least makes the distinction of like transcendent and like very temporal, um, superficial things. Yeah. Um, Quest. Go ahead, Mike. No, I'm no, you, you gave you gave me the floor last. Well, okay, if you're going to switch topics then. So here's where I'll push back against Mr. Wallace here is like, <clears throat> we, you know, we all basically agree with where he's going in terms of this self-awareness, which is connected to something transcendental, empathetic, compassionate, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, well, this goes back to something that I'd asked earlier is how do you inculcate, though? It's like, come on, how many people are going to disagree with what he's saying here? Well, I mean, obviously, some people just didn't get it because they were cheering for him when he was criticizing Christians driving SUVs. But, like, how do you inculcate that? Because so many of us inculcate it and i'm putting air quotes up by like what define the word define the word what do you inculcate yeah oh how do you like cultivate within yourself okay so many of us inculcate hash cultivate within yourself (laughs) (laughs) through like youtube videos like i remember us reference you like referencing another episode land like we all love like five minutes that will change the rest of your life on YouTube. It's like, yeah, those are fun. And they're speaking generally real and true things. Only males watch YouTube though too. (laughs) Yeah, All the females are looking at words on Instagram and (laughs) images. YouTube's just male. Um, But it's, it's like, it's little more than pardon the crudeness, but it's, it's, it's just like, existential porn essentially it makes you feel good for like the three minutes after the video and then there's nothing to it and it's like we would we'd like to say as i mean not to build ourselves up but we have to sort of make a point here as people who take very seriously like you go to church every Sunday. I mean, and as Catholics, you go to confession, you know, at least several times a year. And you believe that you're doing something so bizarre as consuming God. Like, these things are constant, relatively constantly on your mind. They, like, bring you to the edge of reality, which I dare say is the only realistic, feasible way that you can inculcate these things that Foster Wallace is putting forth. You cannot 
inculcate them <laughs> through YouTube videos or snapping your fingers to David Foster Wallace speeches. Hold on, hold on. All right, okay. let me try to let me try to summarize that. Okay. Don't use the word inculcate. <laughs> <laughs> the the core essence. What you said was the core message of DFW speech went right over everyone's heads because they don't have the depth of the Christian faith. Um, I, that's not exactly the direction I was going. That's not like off point or inaccurate. I, I was more along the lines of how no one is going, oh, virtually no one is going to disagree with like the conclusions about what so they'd all agree with them, but they wouldn't change the way they wouldn't they change live. the way, or I'm positing how do you change the way? And this goes back okay. to what I was saying in a different podcast of the codification problem. Do you guys remember me referencing this? In our in our least but... listened to podcast. <laughs> I don't know. The one for silver members. <laughs> I don't know. Like when I am in hold on, I'm just I'm going to take a minute. You can cut it out later. Okay. Eventually, finally, you get all of your supper supplies, except now it turns out there aren't enough checkout lanes open. And even though it's the end of the day rush, so that the checkout line is incredibly long, which is stupid and infuriating, but you can't take the fury out on the frantic lady working the register. Anyway, you finally get to the checkout line's front and pay for your food and wait to get the check or card authenticated by the machine. And then you get told have a nice day in a voice that is the absolute voice of death and then you have to take your creepy flimsy plastic bags into the crowded bumpy parking lot to load the bags in your car that everything's going to fall out and roll around in the trunk and you get home and have to take them inside like that whole like half hour process in real life like it is annoying and when i am in that moment and I'm just like, man, this is like 45 minutes, an hour of just like, I don't know. I've, I've felt that before. And, you know, I don't, I don't reference, I don't reference like a Bible passage or a Psalm to calm me down. I'm like, oh, like I remember like the DFW speech, <laughs> like this is the hard part of life. And these people around me are like in the moment and. I, I shouldn't be that sped up and thoughtful. And my main reference point for like taking it in it is this speech. And like, because he like laid it out. So yeah, every time I stop and think a little bit about in that moment, I reference this first to like taking it. So I, I think it could land in, in hearts. Okay. That fair, fair rebuttal. But I'm, I'm going to have another rebuttal here. Okay, so for the great Landon, he just needs to go to church with David Foster Wallace every few weeks. I'm just saying, like, it's no, no. a very good I, I, example of uh, modern frustrations that... Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. but... But what I'm getting at is, okay, not inculcate, but how do you internalize, how do you internalize what I'm saying, what he's saying? And what I'm saying is that 
it's because as David Foster Wallace is saying, it's like, oh no, I'm not about like telling you how to live or virtue, but like you are because you're giving the speech, right? And well, we, that, yeah, we agree. Just, we agree. Yeah. That's a great message. This is fantastic. But how do you? In, if you can't internalize it, if you can't codify it, then it's almost as if it's like it never even happened, hardly. And what so I'm saying. You internalize it through this very complex isn't the right word, but like comprehensive and vibrant and layered and texture experience of religion and what disciplined religion and existential thought like that. I I truly believe we all essentially believe that is the only way. Um, Yeah. So, okay. So you're criticizing his self-deprecating mm, reference yeah. to like, yeah. oh, I'm not telling you how to live. Oh, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And then the next words out of his mouth are like literally saying how to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's... who he was. That's who he was. And further, like, yeah, you can't project morals onto people in like liberal academia. So like, just just peppering all of your moral peppering with like I'm not doing this yeah. but I'm doing this like yeah. that's just like required yeah fodder for that yeah. world I assume <laughs> like I mean you guys don't have to listen to me but you know I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> you know inculcate it if you want <clears throat> it's interesting cuz like I mean, I kind of thought about this and like that line Landon read a little bit ago about, um, you know, to sacrifice in little unsexy ways or whatever, how he said it. Um, he's kind of stating in secular terms, like the whole idea of like the little way of St. Therese, right? So St. Therese talks about how it's not through like grand gestures or anything that we become holy. It's by doing small acts with great love. So... Like, yeah, if somebody's a jerk to you, like, smile at them. Like, that's a really difficult thing to do, and it's incredibly small. But, like, learning how to do that in, like, small ways throughout the day is huge. So, like, for me, like, understanding, like, yeah, like, if my wife's having a really hard day, like, just simply doing the dishes is the most important thing I'm going to do that whole day. Um, Or just, like, small things like that. And, And so, like, we believe that's, like, actually, like, a path to holiness, he was able to do it in kind of a funny secular way then give a pretty similar message. Um, So I think in some ways that might almost add weight to the truth of the message is like, Oh yeah, you've got a nun a hundred years ago that says this. And now you've got this kind of hip liberal arts writer in modern day U S that's saying kind of the same thing. And like, if it can resonate with that many different types of people, there's gotta be something something there yeah that just inspired me i i had i don't have the right saint but um there was a there was a prayer of a saint on the wall in his bathroom at the end of the tour huh was it the saint francis prayer i think um that jesse eisenberg read aloud that was i don't i don't know if it was actually in his bathroom let me so love where there's injury pardon where there's doubt faith no, oh yeah 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 i do remember that it was saint ignatius i think 
Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. Teach me to give and not count the cost, to fight and not heed the wounds, to toil and not seek for rest, to labor and not ask for reward. Save that of knowing that I do your will. Do you guys think, I'm just going to say it. I've been thinking it for 10 minutes. I don't want a podcast scared. Oh, yeah. What um, up, dog? So his whole message is like, I don't mean to laugh because we're getting into kind of deeper thoughts here, but um, like the whole thing is about like how to look at life appropriately and yeah, meaningfully and like the right way so you don't go drive yourself crazy. Like, yeah. does the fact that he committed suicide take away, do you think, mm. from anything that he says? Because like, mm. and again, I'm not trying to do this and like, I'm not trying to at all talk poorly about the man i mean that's not what i'm trying to say but just like when like it almost seems like the ideas he's presenting is how to avoid you know wanting to end your life you know what i mean if that makes sense and then the fact that he did it seems almost i don't know i I just i I don't know if i worded the question right or if that's even the right question to ask but yeah no i think that's probably the I don't know, the big question or the main question. Um, I do, I think factually in the interview with his wife that I did read, he was on a substantial, or he was on like one or two of the main depression drugs for like decades. Um, And then did get off of those. And um, it happened like several weeks or several months like after that. So um, I think I think he had struggled with that all his life and primarily used used medication to fix it, but um, after stopping it, things things got dicey pretty quick. And I would say like at least to me the only way that would take away from the message is if you didn't really like have a whole like if he hadn't like read any of his other stuff or if he hadn't had like at least some sort of inkling for like just how attentive he was to things and how everything just deep seemed to deeply affect him like you can't write the way in like the amount of detail that he writes without like kind of having things affect you differently and in a magnified way and i just feel like that side that type of personality like i don't know seems to be prone to like yeah just evil thing like evil things happening to them and and just kind of being um kind of overcome sir i guess not in like a, like an overcome in a way that like they failed but just overcome in a way that like life just and just different things and their thoughts and everything else just affects them and and moves them uh, to do dramatic things I, I, this, this would be a really unfounded perspective and question that probably isn't fair, but like if you, I I imagine, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a really smart dude. I imagine he tested very high IQ, IQ on the IQ test. And like, if you're that smart and think so deeply about the essence of life and probably have a, you know, struggle with like mental um, depression, you know, biologically in some fashion. If you like add all those three things in, don't quite give yourself to 
Jesus, God, a religion, like that's probably a really, that's just a recipe for a struggle. It seems to me like um, to be that smart, to ask that sophisticated depth of question and to not quite just like surrender at all. Um, it's probably difficult. Yeah. And I mean, to answer my own question, I don't think I worded my question how I wanted it to be, but like, I think he kind of answered it in a little bit um, in the speech. Like, I guess I, so I guess I wasn't trying to, and I, I don't think you guys probably thought I was, but like, I wasn't trying to say like, Oh, he's a fraud. You know, it was more like, it's just an interesting dynamic, you know? And I kind of like it in the sense that he seems very genuine. Um, like I, you know, you have all those people that you see, these are the five ways to change your life. And I'm so happy now and all right. this stuff, but it's like in reality, they probably have, have their own problems and stuff too. It's like, if we kind of make it seem as if, Oh, they figured it out. They're happier. Everything's great. Like that just doesn't seem like a very real perspective on life where he actually said right. it. Um, it was one of the things I liked better in his, um, talk at one point he said like, this is, I don't remember how he worded it, but he pretty much yeah, said, this is really, really it. hard to do. So like he kind of said like this is yeah. the answer, but like it's really really tough. Um, and I kind of like yeah. I don't know I I that resonated with me because I think even for myself yeah. like admittedly like I would tell you oh yeah there is like I've said earlier there is this you know you know supernatural and eternal meaning to just doing the dishes for my wife if I just do it with the right you know disposition. Yeah. At the same time, I'm ticked off half the time when I have to do it. So like. It doesn't mean that, um, yeah, I just, that, that part stuck with me. Like I thought he, it seemed very genuine there, like that he seems to be onto something, but then he didn't, you know, he admitted how hard it is to, to actually do it. And that's why I think to me, it just, um, I don't know. It's like he had the right answer without, without, you know, trusting in Jesus and finding God. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know where to go with that, but. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, the suicide, not so much, doesn't really undermine the significance of what he said. Um, the thing, the things that sort of mm, do more genuinely, sort of like, oh boy, that, yeah, makes you sort of wonder. Uh, I was reading on his personal life section of the Wikipedia page, cited comments, mind you. Um, apparently, in the early 1990s, Wallace was in a relationship with writer Mary Carr. Uh, she described Wallace as obsessive and said the relationship was volatile. Um, Wallace once threw a coffee table at her and forced her out of the car, leaving her to walk home. Um, and Wallace's biographer, D.T. Max, did report some of this abuse, so it did definitely happen. Yeah. Um, and Miss Carr in response to this particular biography tweeted that's about two percent of what happened um which seems to indicate that there was a even more significant amount of abuse that took place so yeah that more 
Yeah, because, I mean, obviously any kind of abuse, see, that's harder for me to sort of reconcile. Like, oh, well, you know, they're like just, they're complex. Like, oh, come on, really? Like, I mean, abuse is abuse. So. Yeah. No, I mean, we're not. Yeah. We're not saying he's like on a pedestal or anything. Oh, no, I know. I'm um, just adding any texture here, the conversation. Yeah. I hadn't, I had never heard that, though. But. Yeah given how much he struggled with a lot of things and was, I don't know, he did a lot of rehab. I imagine he was had a few demons here and there. Yeah, you know, at the same time, though, I mean, this is a fairly, like, modern point, too, with regards to, like, cancel culture. Um, people are, like, very complex, where they can believe something right and good to some extent, but do really, like evil things um i remember like once well i was sort of like making this point and then talked about it like some years later in theology class there's like this this one student when i was teaching she said something like she was trying to get at the idea that like she didn't like need religion because she was a pretty good person but you know what what you hear a lot um, but it, what I sort of like hear when people say that is sort of like, well, not saying like I'm a pretty good person, but like I'm a pretty genial person, right? Like you, you just have like a sort of like positive vibe to you. And there's this image from Time Life Magazine's top 100 images of the 20th century. And there's this image of Hitler, like, hanging out with his buddies. And he's, like, doing some sort of, like, stupid jig or something. He has, like, this grin on his face. Just, just like any person who's messing around with his friends. And I have to, like, know. Like, that was not the one time that, like, Hitler ever smiled. Like, you have to believe, if you're anyone with a brain, that he was a somewhat normal person who laughed and smiled and, dare say, was like a good father, even at times, in small ways. I know, I'm going to be canceled. But <laughs> the, the, point, the point that I'm making here is that people can be horrendously evil, as in Hitler's case. Um... And even in, like, some other, like, uh, extremist Islamic, like, terrorists referencing actually something from This American Life. But they can still express goodness in these other small parts of their, their life. And I think that's a hard thing for modern people to reconcile to some extent that... Um, like, yeah. like for, for President Putin in this case, it's like... Yeah, I mean, we need to smother that guy to every extent possible. And it's like, no, we don't see a picture of him, like, um, at an anti-racist protest and, like, forgive him. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to make... The, yeah, and I would say the opposite of that, of, like, the, you know, like, these terrible people are capable of these, like, very, like, congenial moment. Like, the opposite is true, like people who seem to live in this like congenial um, persona are that doesn't make them good 
Yeah. You know, it just means you're yeah. friendly and amicable. Yeah. And you haven't made any enemies, which means like you probably haven't done much good either. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, know? that's good. Like, that's more what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so there's this, um, random like blessing Claire and I came across that was in like, uh, I don't know, Genesis somewhere. I don't know. But like the blessing that like Abraham gives his daughter, um, I can't remember if it's Abraham or if it's Abraham's sons given whatever someone's giving to their daughter or sister is may your descendants live to see the gate. Uh, may your descendants possess the gates of their enemies, which is like, I don't know. It seems like a weird thing to say so to someone like when they get married, like, yeah, may your descendants like destroy other people, <laughs> you know, like, but, um, but yeah, it's like, shoot, like this isn't like, may your descendants be really popular and not offend anyone. You know, it's like, no, like, if you're going to do good, like we know for sure there's evil in the world and like there's evil people and like they probably won't like you for that. Um, so, yeah, I guess like the, the opposite is true. And I think that like he actually communicates that really well to some degree in this speech and that like or I guess maybe not in this speech, but I think just in a lot of his critiques in society just about criticizing like the dangers of a decadent and comfortable lifestyle and you know kind of that's to some degree like contributes to our living in water um and keeps us from like having to choose and interact and engage in a meaningful way um yeah you know because if you just live in the like congenial water where you're going along and getting along like that's an evil in itself to some degree yep i was just gonna you kind of spoke about um evil but like i feel like suffering is an interesting thing we haven't i mean we've kind of broached upon in similar ways but like i think most people that have lived some life will acknowledge that like suffering is part of life you know um and like our unwillingness to accept that and like create any possible comfort to protect us from it in some ways like stops us from actually living life too um, I don't know, just that, I kind of had that thought whenever you said like evil, but, um, like suffering doesn't necessarily, it's not always like caused by a directly evil person. It can just be, you know, I fell and broke my leg and it hurts really bad. And now I can't play this basketball game I wanted to play. Yeah, I know. And you just, I mean, you can make up any situation and I don't know. I just, I just are like, we talked a little bit about like plugging out from life and then there's like into the fake and then there's also like i don't know just this unwillingness to embrace certain parts of it too i'm gonna i'm gonna move to uh wrap us up with a question here so we're all young we're, we're actually super young like we're like 32 <laughs> we're 12. or less we're 12 yeah. and 13 so <laughs> so 12. we are we are uh we're four young fish really uh swimming along here and we're all talking and an, an older man passes us by and asks us how the water and, and we say we what the heck is water as 32 year old men what uh what would possibly be our water that we we don't even know what we're swimming in Today. Now I'm not I'm not don't reference your college version and and what water was then that you've now figured out like 
what could possibly be? And it's a hard question, so maybe a couple of us don't have the answer. Um, but what would possibly be our water today that we don't realize is, is such an essence um, to our daily lives? And Okay, so I'm already breaking the rule of not referencing our past selves, but I think it's sort of an interesting, interesting point to make. Um, I, I would say that it in college, it was like my, my like general obnoxiousness was like the water I was in without realizing it. And, and I'm, extraordinarily grateful to um various men in my life um some of whom on this podcast at various moments who have have called me out on it um because there's other people i've seen in my life who did not have that and they are still obnoxious despite being 12 and 13 years old like us i mean <laughs> um <laughs> No, but yeah, being older, obviously. And it's like, man, that's, um, and it, it requires obviously such courage to, to call a friend out on that. You know, I've at times been the caller outer and at times I've been the one calling out and there's no economic reason for it. Um, it's just find, finding that courage to say what needs to be said and, and changing someone's life. And it's like, man, so short and sweet. And that's what I got. Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time because, like, I, I had a couple ideas, but I think I might have because, like, what he talks about is water is the stuff that's, like, really good and true and meaningful. Yeah. You know, not, but like, I think I immediately kind of thought of that as like, oh, what are the things that distract you from what's good and true and meaningful? Uh, I mean, I think it's sort of both, right? It's that stuff that you're in without realizing it's there. So that could be good. Sure. That could be bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to articulate. Oh, sorry, I mean, Matt. You go. Matt, go. No, no, no. No, you got it, Ross. <sighs> All right. Thanks. You. And now I'm really nervous. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I was also thinking of the negative, like what's preventing me from really seeing reality, you know, and I was going to say just like, and I don't know, maybe you guys don't struggle with this or haven't, but I bet that people can relate, like the perspective that we're always trying to look at situations like from outside of ourselves, because we're so con like we're so caught up in um, what someone else is going to think. Does that make sense? So like we aren't mm -hmm. like, I know I've struggled with that in the past. Like what's my water? Like sometimes maybe unaware of that I'm doing it, but a tendency to not like just be present genuinely in the moment because that I have um, a concern or I'm looking like the perspective I'm looking at it is too concerned with what someone else is going to take out of it. Does that make sense? So like if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm not thinking just like, yeah, don't podcast scared talk. There's always the thought of what's this person going to think of that? Are they going to think it's funny? Like, you know what I mean? Just that type of idea 
bounce around in your head is I think hard to escape from. It's pretty good. Yeah. Just what people think. Um, <clears throat> to, I think, so what is water? What's hidden? So the definition of the way he describes it is, you know, do everything with a simple awareness, awareness of what is so real and so essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water, this is water. Um, I would say, one, this is a theme that run, runs through his writing and... I think that's hard to do in like perhaps America or, you know, upper class America. Like we, you know, we live in the top, you know, 1% of 1% of like global economic status. And, you know, we're in every part of our lives. It's like, what can we buy on Amazon next? Or like, what's the best food? And like the level of like, richness and wealth and just optionality and like perhaps consumerism or products like you can you can take it for granted you can write it off it's like well I want the best for my family or like I'm doing much less than other people I don't I don't know I think some of some of the water around us is just like even in the last 10 years or a generation or two generations, like you go back two generations and they didn't have anything that we use every day. Um, I think the level of just stuff, technology just overwhelms us as water that like thinking about, well, how was it, you know, how did our grandpa and grandma do this? Like, that this would all be water to them. Like every single second of the day would be water. Um, that that they would be like very present of, and we would not have any idea about. Um, and I don't I don't reflect on that a lot, but I think um, I think a little bit, and just being grateful for how easy and productize so many things are that are are probably water in this context so if yeah i mean if water is like what is meaningful but hidden and so obvious it's hard to see um like honestly like my marriage is water you know mm. like it's this big <laughs> beautiful thing and I succeed in small ways, but like I fail like mm -hmm. a lot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, and I think that's something that, I mean, technology is a big barrier. Um, like I would say even sports is a big barrier. There's one time Claire made, I was explaining some like sports story to Claire. <laughs> you were mansplaining? <laughs> I was just telling her about it. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. I was telling her about it. And uh, she was like, Matt, this sounds like Teen Vogue for old guys. <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, crap, you're right. You know? And I think that's, yeah, I mean, it, 
super but, relevant for this NCAA weekend in yeah, basketball I mean, that yeah, we're yeah, no, it's, in right now. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. And, um, yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's bread and circus stuff, you know? Like, yeah. it's it's not, not dissimilar in, you know, technology, of course. And, um, but, yeah, like, my marriage is the water, and my son is the water, you know? And it's like, especially mm-hmm. as an infant, because he's not, like, engaging directly. Like, you kind of mm-hmm. have to, you know, if you goof around with him enough, maybe you get him to laugh, but... Um, he doesn't really like go out of his way to seek you per se, besides just crying and just, you know, whatever. Right. You're obviously yeah. doing something wrong, Matt. I mean, he <laughs> should be, he should be plugged. He should be discipled by someone by now. <laughs> yeah, no, there is something interesting about that, that touches on something I thought about before, where it's like, there is a certain like place for like agnosticism towards life and i think it's exactly what you're getting at there where recognizing like yeah there's some good things i do in my marriage as a father but there are some ways that i i fail that i'm maybe like sort of vaguely aware of sort of not in that that man there's I think a lot of us like don't like to live that way. We like to know that, yeah, no, I'm a pretty good person. I'm probably going to heaven. Whereas like, well, no, I, I think a better way to live is like, I, I hope I go to heaven, but I honestly don't know. Like, it's the same way, like with more superficial things, like running a race. Are you more confident in the guy or girl who's going to run a great race? Who's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to run a great race. Or like, you know, I've had some good training. I, I think I might run well today. Things might go bad. I don't know. We're going to see what happens. Like that, there's something about that attitude which seems a lot more consistent with the forces of reality. Quick thought, because I had one more answer that just popped into my head that I thought was interesting. Like, to the fish, and again, not that I want to get too caught up in the fish, but... um like the water was, <laughs> what kind of fish were like they the water was necessary for their service. i will make you fishers of men like i think dfw's really <laughs> he's alluding like, to the gospels yeah, right like it's here. necessary the it. water is necessary for their existence for their survival right so like just god himself like just his existence his presence i think in a lot of ways is like like it's it envelops us, it's all around us, it literally sustains us and keeps us alive. And there's a lot of people that would be like, What are you talking about? Like they're God's not real. Like, you know what I mean? I don't like I feel like I might sound like the little fish in a way, but like a lot of people in the world would believe that. You know what I mean? So like um just his existence or not is an interesting like if he if he's real, a huge percent of the population that I mean denies or isn't sure, like are living in water and have no idea. But if he's not real, mm. a huge percentage of the population are also living in water because <laughs> they like, you know what I mean? It's just like either way, that question about God being real or not, like puts a large amount of people in <clears throat> some water. I think that's the ultimate meta take of this. Like, do you, yeah. Ooh, you brought it home, Ross. Yeah. I, that's, that's great. Nice. Speaking of Ross, <laughs> I think he has the next episode. Yeah. We I don't do. even know what the speech series is. Yeah, it's going to be hard to announce. If we've, been, we've been drowning in our own success. 
collecting our uh, commission checks that that we've we've forgotten about the fans, and we're sorry about that. <laughs> so we're gonna let you know, but we can guarantee that it's gonna be Ross. As as he finished greatly this episode, he's gonna bring us back in in three weeks. anything to share this is sharing time sharing time um <clears throat> we we are expecting a baby boy in september i was gonna tell you over a campfire but you just like put me on the spot such that i like, not really i can't hold i can't hold that news back you're right i did know and i talked with lauren and we thought it was time for you to like share it all right i'll propose a cheers holy smokes man cheers heck yeah cheers. Oh, hold, let me wow Gosh, I, was wish, I wish I was drinking better stuff. Cheers. That's, yeah, that's big stuff. Wow, congratulations. Yep. When in Thank September? Yeah. Basically right on our uh, anniversary date. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cute. All right. Are you ticked that Matt stole the name Abraham already? <laughs> so you can't be Abraham Lincoln free? We, um, Lincoln is a family name in her family. Um, wow. Oh. <clears throat> We can talk about it this weekend, but uh, her uh, grandpa did deep. He's got a whole genealogy book going back like 400 years um, with like cited materials. But it was like cool to look through all the old family names. Hmm. That's cool. Can we share that with people or is it like under the, is it kind of like, yeah, don't tell anybody. Uh, nope, it, it's shareable. It's, uh, oh, nice. Yep. Oh, this is going to be big for our audience. Can we put it on let, the speech guy's feel part Facebook of it. page? Because that's going to get us a lot of action. Um, and, and can we make it twins? Can we make it twins? <laughs> it, just, it sells better. 